Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Matt, and if you're a first-time guest here, I am so thankful that you're here. What a great Sunday to get involved and to check us out for the first time and kind of kick the tires of this place. We're finishing up a series called Level Up, and today we are talking about how we can leave a legacy, just like Jesus Christ has left a legacy on this earth, and for many of you, left a legacy in your life. Now, if you could like go and be a fly on the wall of a place that you had left, what do you think people would say about you? Have you ever thought about this? You leave a meeting, you leave a party, and are they laughing at you? Are they talking bad about you? Are they, are they going, you know what? That was a good first impression. We really like that guy. We, we want her back around again. What are they saying about? What are they saying about? What if you could just discover that? What if you could fake your funeral? Heard about a Russian guy by the name of Igor von Rotenov, and he uh, faked his funeral. He paid off the coroner in his Russian hometown. He paid off the police. He paid off the funeral director, and they had a closed casket funeral. His ex-wife got involved and asked everyone to come and pay the respects to a man they thought was dead but was really alive. So they asked friends and family and business leaders and government officials to come and pay their respects to Igor and say a few words. They even told their adult children that dad had died. They went to the extreme. And where was Igor? Not in the coffin. In the back of the room in disguise, listening in. And he heard family members talk with great delight about Igor's life and then sadness about his death. And friends talk about great times and joy-filled times. He heard from business leaders who said, you know what? Igor was a pain in my side. I'm glad he's, he's gone. Or was he? He was later exposed, found out about friends, family, upset. You could probably understand their upsetness, couldn't you? (laughs) Makes you wonder if they'll go to his real funeral when he dies. You know, one day, uh, all all this is going to end. Life as we know it, the physical, the things that we've come to know about this world in the physical present moment, and there's kind of a a way in which we don't want to talk about it. So we use like all these euphemisms about death. Like we don't say death. Anymore. Like they died, she died, he died. We, we use all these terms now. We use things like lights out, bought the farm, passed away, expired, gone to meet their maker, departed, game over, cashed in their chips, bit the dust, my favorite, kicked the bucket. I don't even know what that means. Do you? But we, we just, we won't say it anymore. We just, we kind of skirt the idea of this this certainty that's a part of our life. Like, there is an expiration date here. And we don't, we don't have a lot of control over most of our life, do we? Just think about this for a moment. You didn't have control of who you'd be born to. You didn't have control about the siblings, if you have any. You, didn't, you, didn't, you, weren't, con- you weren't having any control over the, the place where you were born or the country you were born in. You didn't, have, you didn't have that kind of control. You didn't have control over the, the biological makeup of your, of your body. You didn't have control over that. You don't have really much control over the day that you die, but we do have control over, over one little part of our life. You know, on the tombstone, there is that, that birth date and that death date, but there is that dash that is in the middle. You have control over all those years and that dash. You have control over who's going to be your friend. You have control over your values. You have control over your faith. You have control over, over your time and over your investments of money, you have control over so much in life that is lived within that, that dash. And I just want you to consider here for a moment, this, in this today, this moment right now, consider that God has made you, he has formed you, he's wired you up so that you would make an impact on this world for good. 
that you would make an impact on this world for godly things so that God can be honored. That you're going to leave some impact craters upon someone's life, and they can either be good or they can be bad. And God has arranged you, he's wired you, so that those impact craters will be good. That you can have a legacy of a life that's filled with love, humility, and passionately lived out. That you can leave boldly where your children and, and those that are far beyond you will say, thank God for you. Thank God for you because you left us a faith that was worth following. You showed us and pointed the way to God. You made this world a better place. God has wired you for that. I just want you to consider that this morning. But can I also warn you this morning that if you don't get serious about that today, there are a ton of people and there are a ton of things that are going to like try to control your destiny in life. They're going to try to define your today if you don't start defining your today. Does that make sense? They're going to try to get a handle on your priorities. They're going to try to get a handle on your time. They're going to try to make your life their life. They're going to try to put you into position where you're not living and defining the moment on your own terms. You're living and defining the moment on their terms. And I also want you to see that God has a plan for your life today. Like God has a great plan for your life. And if you're wondering who that someone, something is to best throw yourself into, it's God. And we've been talking about in this series ways in which we can scale back some things in our life and some ways we could level up and add some things to our life. And it all comes from this jumpstart verse out of Hebrews chapter 12 where it says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Here's the idea that we're getting rid of some things that are holding us back for living for God like we've always wanted to live for God. And there's some things in your life that are hindering you from doing that. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And I love this part, let us run with perseverance. You know why I love that word run? I think what the Apostle Paul, who I think was writing Hebrews, you know what I think he was getting after? We have this kind of misnomer that we have a, we're walking in the faith. You heard of that? We're walking in the Lord. Like we're, we're just kind of meandering with the Lord kind of aimlessly or, or just kind of slowly taking our time to get there. Paul says, no, there's some urgency in our faith. We only have today. Let's run towards the Lord. Let's run with the Lord. Let's, let's start ripping off things out of our life that, that are keeping us from him. And let's start adding things of value that will draw us near to him. Let's do that now. And with perseverance, let's run this race that's marked out for us. And what do we do? He says, let's fix our eyes. How do we do it, Paul? Fix our eyes on Jesus is what he says. Start staring at Jesus. He's our model. He's the one that's done it before. He's left the, the legacy for us to live by because he's the pioneer. What does pioneer mean? He's the first. He did it right. He, made a, he blazed a trail. No, there wasn't a trail before Jesus on how to get to God. Now there is. And he's the perfecter. He's done it right. He's done it perfect. He has done it whole. And guys, we've been discovering how to rid ourselves of some things that are holding us back from God, add value to our lives to some things that will strengthen up our relationship with the Lord. And you're probably asking a question at the end of this series, how do we do that? How do we leave a legacy? Well, Paul gives us this idea that if we fix our eyes on Jesus, we stare at Jesus, we figure him out to be the model, the example, and we just start incorporating some of the things that he lived by, we get to leave a legacy of faith to those who follow after us. How did Jesus leave this legacy? Number one, Jesus lived passionately. I mean, there was, there was a, a strong conviction that he had that today is all he had. Like, he didn't have tomorrow. He didn't give that guarantee that there was going to be a tomorrow. So he sees the day. Like, nothing was going to get him off mission. He was mission-minded. Are you mission-minded? What, what if you woke up today and you said, I'm going to live for God today like I've never lived for God today. I'm going to show love today like I've never shown love today. I'm going to live passionately today like I've never lived before because today is all I've got. You look at Jesus' life and you see that his friends tried to get him off of mission, didn't they? Peter, get behind me. You get me off of mission. 
He had enemies in his life that tried to get him off of mission. He said, no, you're not going to define my my today. I'm going to take charge of my today because why? I have the power over how I want to run my day and who I want to pursue. And Jesus fully lived life with passion. You know, God says that he wants us to seize this day to live life with passion. Here's how he says it. Because there's going to be a war that's in your life. He says these words in John 10, 10. He says, a thief, a thief comes. A thief comes to to rob and to kill and destroy. By the way, Jesus refers to Satan as the thief. That's his title, Satan's title. He's the thief. He comes to only rob, kill, and destroy. And then Jesus says, I came so that everyone would have life and have it fully. I came that you could have life and you could really live fully, that you can live in the moment. You could live right now, passionately today. Friends, the thief will steal your today by telling you that you will have tomorrow. Did you catch that? The thief is going to rob you of today by telling you, you've got tomorrow. You've got time. I had said this in previous sermons in this series. That God's favorite word is today and Satan's favorite word is someday. And it plays right into a psychological condition that we've all found ourselves in. It's a true psychological condition. It's called the someday syndrome. You been there? Where you said, well, I can put that off till tomorrow. I can get to that someday. We'll do that together. I'll just start living on mission some other time. The, some, the someday syndrome, this is, this is the, the dad that's overworked his life and says, someday I'm going to spend more time with my kids, someday. This is the person that hasn't been using their money wisely, and they spend it frivolously, and they say, someday I'm going to start investing in my future and start investing into kingdom causes and storing up treasures in heaven, someday. This is the person that sits here every Sunday morning and is trying to like weigh this decision on what they should do with Christ. Should they make him Lord and Savior of their life? Should they be baptized? And they're having all these these great moments of resolution saying that's what you ought to do. And here's how Satan works. Here's how the thief works within the someday syndrome. He looks at you and he says, you know what? You ought to make a commitment to Christ. That's the best thing you should do in your life. You should make a commitment to Christ. And you know we should do it? Someday. Don't do it today. Your family's not here. Your friends aren't here. Don't do it right now. I mean, after all, you weren't ready to do this. You should do this some other day. But you're right. You should give your life to Christ. Just don't do it today. Do it someday. You know how that works in this room with those that are committed to Christ but have stopped serving the Lord? From stop finding the joy in living for God and serving other people and loving other people? He says, someday. Because there's been a resolution in your heart. You're like, you know what? I, I, I need to contribute, not to consume. I've been eating on this spiritual buffet for a long time. I need to work it out. I need to exercise off all this stuff that I've learned about the Lord and start loving on people and showing, showing God to people through, through my acts of service. And you're thinking, I'm going to put down on my communication card, get me involved in some ministry around here. Satan says, you ought to get involved in some ministry. You're right. Good call. Good call. That's exactly what you should do. But you know what? Don't do it today. Do it someday. I mean, after all, you're pretty busy right now. You got a lot of irons in the fire. So today's not the best day. Someday you can get around to it. Oh, you'll have time. You just wait. The someday syndrome. You ever been there? We think someday. Friends, you keep thinking someday you're robbing yourself of today. Jesus said, if you want to live fully, you start living passionately like Jesus lived because yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, and today is a gift. Today is the day. Today is the moment that we have. And Jesus has this intriguing passage of scripture I've always kind of wanted to know more about. It's Luke chapter 7. It's on the screen here in front of us. I'm not sure if I got this right in my like understanding of it. So I'm just kind of throwing that out to you. Like maybe the pastor is not right on this interpretation. I think I'm pretty close. A lot of people don't know where it lands, but Jesus says this about his own generation. Here's what he says. 
To what then can I compare the people of this generation? Jesus is talking about the people that are right around him. He says, what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and they're calling out to each other. We played the flute for you and, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't cry. You're going, what in the world is that? What's Jesus saying? I think, I think Jesus is saying, you guys went through life, this dash, this moment, and you didn't experience life. You didn't go up to the top of the mountain and you didn't go to the valley of life. You didn't go to the peak of joy and you didn't go to the valley of despair. You just you decided to live mediocre on the flatlands. That's what I think he's saying. And when there was joyful times, you didn't really celebrate those joyful times. You didn't live it up. You didn't, you didn't get friends together and kill the fatted calf and overly rejoice. In those times when, when the harsh reality of life sank in and there were desperate, deep, dark moments, you didn't let those set in either because God does a whole lot of good in those moments, doesn't he, in the valley? And I think God's saying, listen, you didn't really celebrate, you didn't really dance, and you didn't, you didn't really grieve. You just, you just went through life. You try to just maintain this status quo, and God said, I wanted you to experience the fullness of life. I can do all sorts of stuff from the mountaintop to the valley. I can work in the light and the darkness. I can, I can do that through you. And so, friends, what I'm saying is take hold of Jesus today. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Start leaving a lasting legacy and realize today is the day. that all, This is all we've got today. And let's learn from Jesus to live passionately. Let's also fix our eyes on Jesus and learn something else. To love completely. That's what Jesus did. I love this passage of scripture in John 13. He knew that he had a short time left with his disciples, the 12 men that he loved and walked in ministry with for three and a half years. He was close to them every day with them. And it says that Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Like, so he knows the clock's ticking. He knows that there is an end date, there's an expiration date on his birth certificate. And he says, listen, we're, we're, there's going to be a moment where I'm going to get out of here. And I know that's right around the corner. And it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them, love this, the full extent of his love. He showed him the full extent. He didn't hold back. He didn't hold back from showing him his love and telling him that he loved him. He didn't hold back. He just said, I'm going I'm I'm to love you with all that I am right now. I know this sounds really simple, but it's awfully profound. You know the reason why God has placed you in this world? So simple but profound. The reason God has put you in this world is to love God and to love the people around you. It's not really that, life is not really this complex. We've made it harder than it is. I mean, as a matter of fact, a guy says to Jesus, life is so hard, it's so stringent, there's all these things I've got to accomplish, there's all these laws I have to obey, and Jesus says, whoa, you've made it really difficult. Let me just boil this down to two things that you should be doing in life. Are you ready? Love the Lord your God, let's say this out loud, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. He says, that's, that's number one. Loving God is number one. You wanna, you're not living until you're loving. You start loving God. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he says, the second is like this. Love your neighbors yourself. Man, if I, if I can just keep those two simple yet profound things in line to start loving God and start loving other people and doing that completely like Jesus in its fullness, I'm going to leave a lasting legacy in this life. When, when the game is over, people are going to look back and say, boy, I'll tell you what. I don't know how much money was in his bank account. Don't know how much land he owned. Don't know how, much, how many investments he made. I don't know how many awards he had won. I don't know how many accolades he had or goals she achieved. But I do know this. She loved God. And she loved me. And I'll never forget that. And I want to love the way that she loved. And I want to follow God the way she followed God. And I want to love, I want to love others the way he loved others. Boy, what, a, what an impact that would be. Like, what if you knew? What if you knew today that 
You had one month to, to live. What if, you, what if that just, the weight of that doctor calls it, you got one month. Man, there's a whole lot of things you're going to change. You're, you're going to get busy living, and you're going to get busy loving some people. You're going to rally friends and family around you. You're going to, you, I know you've got a bucket list. You're going to say, I don't need the bucket list. I just need friends and family, and I need to tell them how much I love them, and I'm going to be around them, and I'm going to invest in my faith. Boy, there'd be a lot of us all of a sudden. We'd get real religious real quick in a month's time. So let me ask you this. What do you need today? What do you need to do today to start loving people like you've always wanted to love people? What do you need to do? Who do you need to tell today that you, you love them? Like, who do you need to get on the phone with right after this service and say, you know what? Boom, conviction. You haven't heard this out of my lips for a long time. I love you. And, and, I'm, and let me speak to men because I know this is so tough. I just had three men after this sermon tell me they love me. I've never heard those words out of their mouth ever before. Because men usually are messed up. I'm one of those messed up men. Like, I, I tell my wife and my kids all day long, I love them, I'll show them acts of love. But boy, if I, if I have a connection with you, if you're my buddy, I've got a buddy that is as close as a brother, closer than a brother. He just went through some amazing, great things happened in his life. Some awesome things were taking place in his life. And I'm so proud of him, so proud of his wife, and so proud of his family. And I showed up at his house, and, and I, I told myself, I was walking towards him, I said, Matt, you will tell him that you're proud of him, and you will say the words, I love you. And you're going, boy, that, that seems uh, a little hard-hearted. Yeah, I've got to force, force that stuff out of me. And some of you are like, well, it just drips out of my mouth. Oh, I know, I've got an aunt like that. She visited three weeks ago. She came and wanted to tour our Vincent's campus. She was like absolutely amazed with what's going on over there. And she meets Evan Nave for two minutes' time. Evan's our Vincent's campus pastor. And she says, okay, well, I love you, Evan. Nope. She didn't say Evan. She said, I love you, Everett. <laughs> and I said, Gene, how in the world can you love a guy you don't even know his name? Sometimes just, just flippantly that stuff lands off. Someone said the three hardest words are, are, are the, the three hardest things to say are this. I was wrong. I need help. Warshire sauce. I'm not even going to say, I love you. Sometimes I feel that way. Like, I don't know, like, count to three, and you can say it. I want to. I love you. Yeah, maybe. I want to challenge you to start thinking. I want you to challenge you to start thinking simple. That a simple, small step, simple, small action of love, a simple, small phrase of I love you can make the biggest impact and difference in someone's life. Stepson, stepdaughter, a mother who hasn't heard those words for a long time. Who needs to hear it from, from you? And then who needs to see that demonstrated in action? Jesus, what did he do? Small step in, in, in John 13. He got his disciples together. He washed their feet, didn't he? Small but simple step. I love you guys. I'm going to lower myself, and I'm going to show you some great acts of love. What could you do? Maybe, maybe you, you've always had your spouse fixing dinner, maybe time for you to fix the dinner. You know my wife's favorite words that come out of my mouth? My three favorite, three favorite words that come out of my mouth. Let's go out. Maybe, maybe it's like you, 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 you always do the dishes. I'm going to do the dishes tonight, guys. I've heard statistically it's a proven fact. No wife has ever murdered her husband while he was doing the dishes. She waits till afterwards. I shouldn't have said that. Just keep doing the dishes. Just keep doing the dishes. You know, one thing I love when my boys, when I tell them to do something, and there's first time obedience. 
Like, I don't have to tell them 20 times. They just pop right up and they do it. And that shows me the greatest amount of love I sit at because they're sitting right here in the second row. <laughs> but you know that feeling, don't you, parents? Where you don't have to bark it for 20 times, but that first time they pop right up what they're doing. They pay no more attention to what's in their face. And they, what do you need? I will get it done. What an act of love. Let's learn, let's learn from Jesus to, to live passionately, to, to love completely. And here's the third thing. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, we're going to discover this. He learned humbly. Let's look in Philippians chapter 2. Let's open up our scriptures. It's page 951 in the chair rack in front of you. The apostle Paul is writing to this group of Christian people that were very generous to him. They loved him completely. And he's just sitting here and he's saying, man, I'm so thankful for you all. The joy that you give to me and the joy that I find in Jesus Christ. And then he has this awesome little poem that he writes about Jesus that the church accepted and memorized and held on to. Now, I know as we've moved from the original Greek translation of the Bible to English, it's no longer poetry anymore. It doesn't have that great rhythm and great flow and rhyme to it. But this was an easy memorization. It still has this beauty that's connected to it. Philippians 2 Verse 5 tells us about the humility of our teacher, Jesus, our great Lord Jesus. It says, your attitude, your attitude, in your relationships with one another, have that same mindset as Christ Jesus. Like, well, that's to be the model of who we're after. That's to be, he's, the example, he's the example, and we're to exemplify him. Who, verse 6, being very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Like he recognizes, I've got authority, but I'm not going to take advantage of the authority because he learned humility. Verse 7, rather he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. I love this. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Maybe there's some of the underlines things in your, your Bible. I think one of the beautiful phrases that we just read there that, that is worthy of underlining is that he humbled himself and became obedient to death. He humbled himself. He learned humility. He learned humility. This verse challenges us. It pushes a guy like me, it pushes people like you, I'm sure, to start thinking more like Jesus and stop thinking like ourselves, to, to start modeling our life after Jesus. And there's, there's an agenda that I had discovered some time back that I want to share with you about how to keep God first in your priorities, God, keep God first in your day. I want to just share it with you, and then I want to give you some steps on how to get there. It's called placing God first or the God of firsts. Because I know there's a lot of you in this room that you're saying, I'd like to, to make God the core of my life. I'd like to strengthen up my faith. But how do I go about that? Let me just suggest some ideas. Put God at the first of your week. You're here. You've done that. Check mark. Done. Welcome. Good. I pray that it's not done out of guilt. I pray that it's not done out of a check mark. I pray that there was a desire to be in the room to worship our God and to be at a fellowship with believers. First God, that's, that's a Sunday worship somewhere. First part of the day. Maybe your commitment, you made a resolution during the series, or today you're saying, you know what, I don't make God the first part of my day. I'm just going gonna, gonna to simply welcome God into my life by reading a few verses of Scripture, take a couple minutes out of my day to do that, and maybe as I drive, I'm going to just pray. I don't usually do that. I listen to talk radio, or I listen to the music. I'm just going to turn off the radio, and I'm going to use that drive time as prayer time. First portion of my income. Some of you are like, yeah, we're there. I get that. But I'm not doing that as kind of an obligation. I'm doing it as an act of worship. There's some in this room that you recognize, man, God's got 10% of my income because I want to put money in its place because oftentimes money is the very thing that has mastery over me. Man, we start saying, God, this is about you, not about me. I recognize I've been blessed by you and I want to be a good steward of the things that you put under my command. 
I want to honor you with my income the best way I know how. And here's the fourth thing. In our next series of sermons, starting next week, is really drives towards this idea. First consideration of my decisions. How many times have you made a decision and you thought, boy, I didn't even pray about that. That was a pretty big life decision. I didn't give God a chance to... I didn't give God a, a, any chance to speak into my life on that one. First consideration of my decisions. I know a lot of you are like, I want that for my life. I just don't know how to get there because I haven't built that into the habit of my day. So maybe I just share with you something that I think is just rock solid. It destroys strongholds. It has so much great principle behind it. It is something that you want to write down. It's something that you'll want to go back to a podcast or hear this later on Facebook and take and go, boy, I want these things in my life and here's how I get there. The first thing we have to do is we have to change our bad environments to, to create good habits. Think of all the good habits you want to create here, but you're trying to do it in a bad environment. You've done this when it came to dieting or trying to eat healthy. You say, hey, I want to create a healthy food diet in my life. Well, that's a good habit, but what's your environment? You still have the pantry stock full of junk food, bad environment. Maybe as a family, you say, hey, I want us to start relating to each other and to start talking to one another. And rather staring at a device, I, I want us to start communicating. Good habit. But if your environment still has of the allowance to put phones in people's hands and iPads in people's hands, bad environment, right? Do not become the victim of your environment. You need to become the architect of your environment. If you want good habits, you've got to create a good environment for those habits to take place. You've got to build a better environment. So let me tell you how this takes place in my life. And it's not, this is not a spiritual thing. This is a very carnal thing. I'm a guitar player. I, I, that's one of the subsections of my life. That doesn't define my life, but is a part of my life. And because I want to play the guitar and get better at it and progress within it, I don't keep my guitars in a closet. You come to my house, there's about six guitars hanging on the wall in different places of the house. It's because I am too lazy to get to the closet, open up a guitar case, pull out a guitar, tune it up and play it and practice it for 15 minutes and put it away. No, I can just go by the house to the living room, whoop, pick it up, play a little guitar, put it back down. I've done my 15 minutes. Let me tell you about a spiritual thing you can do. Some of you want to be Bible readers in this place. Where do you keep your Bible? Where is that Bible kept? Some of you are like, I got it on my phone. There are 100,000 distractions on your phone, my friend. Where do you keep that physical Bible? You want to be a Bible reader? How about this? You place that Bible on your, your pillow every day. And then when the day's gone south or the day's gone north, however it's gone for you, you get back into bed and one of the things you have to do as you roll those covers back is you got to move that Bible off your pillow. And boy, it's right there in your hand. The environment's set and ready. Why not just open it up to where the bookmark is and read a couple verses? And that's how you become a Bible reader. Or turn off that radio and saying, on that drive home or that drive to work or that, where I'm, that's the moment I use. You got to have a plan, right? You got to have a plan. I think most people in this room, you have the, it's not that you lack motivation to get those things done. You lack clarity on how to get that done. You lack a plan on how to get, you have to have a plan. So if you're sitting here saying, I want to start reading my Bible, I want to start giving some prayer time to the Lord, I'll give five minutes of my day starting at 7 a.m. You know what happens at 7 a.m. at my house? It's a wild journey at 7 a.m. at my house. And so you have to have a backup plan. 
Because you, 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 might, you might get kicked off of mission. So you have to have a plan, but also a backup plan for this. And so maybe you're someone here that says, you know, 7 a.m., if, if it doesn't work, my backup plan is I pick my kids up at 3. Instead of being on social media and scrolling in my car waiting for my kids, I'm going to spend five minutes in God's word, and I'm going to pray. That's my backup plan. So creating a good environment, having a plan, and then having a backup plan. And here's, here's another one recognizing that we're focusing on the, the finish line, not the starting line. Like you're sitting here saying, I want all that in my life right now. I want, I want to become all those things right now. That's the finish line, not the starting line. Here's what I mean by the starting line. There's, there's a wonderful book that has helped me with this. It's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. He had said in that book, optimize for the starting line, not for the finish line. So let me just put it like, you got weight loss goals, which are like daunting sometimes. I want to lose 30 pounds in so many months. You've ever challenge yourself on something like that, you know you're looking at the finish line going, I, that's impossible. I don't even know how, where I'm going to start. And so you start on it, and you look at the scale two months later, and you go, I haven't done nothing. I am out. I'm out. Heard about this guy that decided he's going to do 30, 30 pounds in like four months, and he, he knew himself. He had to get to the starting line. And so his mission for two weeks out of that time period was, I'm just going to drive to the gym and sit in the car for 10 minutes because he knew that he had to master the art of showing up first. And he got to get to the starting line. Hey, my small group has developed this. We all got together and we said, you know what we want to do? We all want to challenge each other to, to commit our families to learn some scripture. And so we got together and we said, okay, well, that's awesome. Let's, let's commit to learning one verse of scripture a week. That's the finish line. Uh, and then here's where the challenge got. What scripture do we learn? Well, there was 20 opinions in that room and only 18 people. Everybody had a different opinion where we should start. So what do we do? We let Google help us with our spiritual life. That sounds real mature, doesn't it? Hey, Google, what are the top 10 scriptures that families should memorize? Number one, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That one sounds good. Let's go after that one. We had to have a starting line first. Hey, how many times have you said, I want to read the Bible, I just don't know where to? Yeah. You have to have a starting line first. It's not that you... Don't lack motivation, you just lack clarity, and then you got to reward yourself along that journey. You, you spent four days in the Bible, reward yourself. And every time you, you do that action, you're voting for the person that you want to become. You read the Bible for a couple verses a day, that takes 30 seconds. You know what you're becoming? You're becoming a Bible reader. Isn't that who you want to be? You start, read, you start praying for a minute a day, you know what? You start becoming a prayer warrior. Isn't that what you want to be? You start ending up at a time of worship uh, 40 times a year, then... You start becoming a worshiper because you're living more on mission. You're becoming the person that you've always wanted to be. Friends, small steps. Small steps lead to big changes. Learn humbly. I think the last thing that Jesus had shown us, it's real simple, is just to leave boldly. Jesus left boldly. He was resolute. He was on mission. He was here, and then he said, I know I've got to go somewhere else. I, I know this is going to come to an end. Luke 9, verse 51, Jesus says, as the time approached for him, he knew he had a date with death to be taken up to heaven. So he died, and now he's ascending to heaven. He knew he wasn't going to be with his boys anymore. He's 12, 11 rather, and Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He says, I've got a date with death, and then I'm going to ascend into heaven. And uh, there was no hesitation. There was no reservation. He knew what he needed to do. That was his purpose, and he set out, and he accomplished it. Friends, your lasting legacy, what's that going to be? What are you going to be known for? Is it your work, like, oh, he worked so hard, he spent 60 hours, is that really what you want to be known for? 
oh, he invested so well, he made such a great business career. Had, is that what you know? How about getting back to the basics? Like, he lived passionately. She loved completely. He, he learned humbly. Boy, he followed Jesus with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and she loved her neighbor as, as herself. I think if there's anything that holds us back from that, I think one of the biggest challenges holds us back from that is, is our attitude of wanting to please people rather than wanting to please God. We just want to please others. We want to please the boss. We always want to, we want to please our kids. We want to please our, our spouse. We want, want to please, we, want to, we want to please the pastor. When, when really the audience of one is all we, who we need to please, and that's God. So there's this parable called the parable of the talents, and at the very end of it, Jesus is rewarding people, and here's what he says to them. He says to one of the servants that had done well, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things, and I love this. Come and share in your master's happiness. You focused on what pleased me. Well done. You didn't focus on what was going to please yourself, and you didn't focus on what was going to please others. You focused on the audience of one, what pleases God. And the thing that holds us back the most is we just lose sight of living our lives to please God. What I want to do and what I know my wife wants to do, and we're on page with this, I think more than any other thing, any legacy we want to leave in this life is we want to show our children and hopefully one day our grandchildren how to faithfully follow God. You know, I, I got plans to give them an inheritance. I hope to use it all up before they, you know, before I die, but I got plans to give them an inheritance. But I want to show them more than anything how to faithfully follow God. You know, uh, according uh, to our best records, are like 13 Merrill's groups in the, in the world. So they're not, they're not a very common name. You don't find it very often, and so it's easy to track. But man, our, our trunk and branches of our family tree were rotten out a few generations ago. Like if you looked into my last name and my family tree, my lineage, up until about two generations ago, we, were, we weren't known as saints, we were known as sinners, we weren't known as Christians, we were known as crooks. Like our, 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 our generations past, our, our family name was known for people that abused and, and alcoholism and hatred and racism and divorce and mistreatment of women. The Merrill name was not a good name at all. My, my grandfather decided that your destiny is your choice. And your choices create your destiny. And it doesn't matter where you're born into, because my grandfather was born into a pretty abusive household with a, a very oppressive, angry, alcoholic, workaholic father in his life named Carl, my great-grandfather Carl. And his mother was like very... Uh, submissive to him, and so she just allowed that to happen to continue on. You know life's pretty bad, right? When World War II breaks out, and you lie about your age just to go fight an enemy on some islands in the Pacific with the Marines. Like, it's better with the Marine Corps fighting on an unknown island than it is to stay at home. And so my grandfather lies about his age, gets in the Marine Corps, and gets involved in World War II, and spends some time in the military, and then comes back home, and doesn't go home anymore. He goes and lives with a very godly man, um, my great uncle, who lived in Florida at the time, and that man, that man showed in great legacy how to love the Lord, how to live passionately, how to learn humbly, and my grandfather took notice of that, and then one Sunday morning gave his life to Jesus Christ at, at the age of 20-something, young 20s, and he, my grandfather says, I gave my life to Christ one Sunday, the next Sunday I was asked to preach my first sermon. <laughs> From there, he was motivated to go to Bible college. He said his, he had a foul mouth from the Marine Corps. He was a sergeant in the Marine Corps. You can only imagine his foul mouth. Met my grandmother there. He dropped out of school. 
and immediately started ministry in Assumption, Illinois, then Sullivan, Indiana, Fullerton, California, St. Charles, Missouri, and God had really blessed his life. We've had him here. He's 93 years old. He just knocks it out of the park every time he comes, and he's all known around the, the nation of being this incredible speaker and leader and church growth developer. I wonder if Carl Merrill, my great-grandfather, his dad, would have ever have dreamt that for us. For the pattern to be broke. It just makes me wonder. Because that wasn't the legacy that was being left. Just imagine the chains that could be broken today, the strongholds that could be demolished. When you decide today, I'm going to live passionately, I'm going to love completely, I'm going to learn humbly, I'm going to honor God so that others behind me, Others in front of me, others around me will recognize that I faithfully follow God and they too, they too will do the same.